The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. On this day in 1789, the citizens of Paris stormed the Bastille and uh, declared an autonomous zone. Is that right? Is that what happened? Uh, 600 years ago this very day, uh, July 14th, 1420, it was the Battle of Witkoff Hill, just outside Prague, when a few hundred Czech Hussites, the pre-Protestant reformers, uh, commanded by Jan Ziska, defeated thousands of Crusader knights led by Sigismund, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, dispatched by order of uh, uh, Pope Martin V to sort things out. The Hussites lost two or three men. The Emperor Sigismund lost just shy of 500. We shall have a frissonette of French Bastide content for you a little later. Not sure we've got any Hussite content lined up, but you never know. From Hussites to Wussites, by which I mean American sports team owners. I don't cover a lot of American sports, not since Rush used to guess, get me to um, guest host the day after Super Bowl Sunday every year, just so I could make a big fool of myself by going on about how great the seventh inning stretch was. But we're going to do some sports news for you today. So could I get some American sports type theme music? I tell you what, how about the big theme for Monday Night Football? How about that? Okay, crank it up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you sure this is the Monday Night Football theme? Sounds a bit macho for them. Well, if you say so. A lot of sports news, a lot of sports news. Following the decision of the NFL to play the, quote, Black National Anthem before the Star Spangled Banner, and the decision of the NBA to allow players to wear pre-approved social justice slogans that don't offend the Chinese Politburo, we have more courageous stands from the world's butchest sports. The Washington Redskins have dropped the Redskins part of the name in order to prioritize the fact that the bit that's left honors a slaveholder. It was a bit of mixed messaging before. Uh, the Atlanta Braves have said they're going to be keeping their name. Many feel that Braves is a racially insensitive term for courageous Native American warriors during the Indian Wars uh, because there's nothing particularly brave about attacking white men curled up in the fetal position with a please kick my unconscious bias sign taped to their butts. On the other hand, there are those who say Atlanta Braves just refers to the courage it takes to go to a 24-7 Wendy's after midnight that could go up in smoke at any moment. At any rate, the Atlanta Braves say they're going to be keeping the name, but they're reviewing reviewing the fans' use of the tomahawk chop, which involves moving the forearm up and down with an open palm in mimicry of a tomahawk. 
thereby implying that the uh, Redskin likes scalping the white man as opposed to inducing him to pay big bucks to hear Tony Danza at Foxwoods. Uh, so in Atlanta, the tomahawk chop may be for the chop. Uh, what's next? A headline from the Washington Post. The Texas Rangers team name must go. The Texas Rangers are George W. Bush's old baseball team, but that's not the reason the name has to go. By honouring the Lone Star State's investigative agency, says Karen Atia, the team might as well be called the Texas Klansmen. The Texas Rangers are cruel, violent racists who oppress blacks, oppress Indians and oppress Mexicans. So Major League Baseball needs to clean house. I sort of predicted all this a decade and a half ago from my 2006 best-selling book, America Alone, quote, Just before Christmas 2003, Muslim community leaders in California applauded the decision of the Catholic high school in San Juan Capistrano to change the name of its football team from the Crusaders to the less culturally insensitive Lions. Meanwhile, 20 miles up the road in Irvine, the schedule for the Muslim Football League's New Year tournament promised to bring together some of the most exciting Muslim football teams in Orange County. The Intifada, the Mujahideen, the Saracens and the Sword of Allah. Uh, that's the old team spirit. I can't wait for the California sporting calendar circa 2015. The San Diego Jihadi versus the Oakland Culturally Sensitives. The Malibu Hezbollah versus the Santa Monica Inoffensives. The Pasadena Sword of the Infidel Slayer versus the Bakersfield Self-Deprecators. The San Jose Decapitators versus the Berkeley Mutually Respectfuls. I suppose the rationale, conscious or not, behind such trivial concessions as school sports team names is that a big, powerful, wealthy culture can afford to be generous to a weaker culture. Unfortunately, magnanimity is often seen as weakness by those on the receiving end. It's easy to be sensitive, tolerant and multicultural. It's the default mode of the age, yet when you persist in being sensitive to the insensitive, tolerant of the intolerant, and impeccably multicultural about the avowedly unicultural, don't be surprised if they take it at face value. That's America Alone, me in 2006. And we are now in Orwell land. Drab uniformity is vibrant diversity. Ruthless intolerance is sensitive tolerance. Uh, the only thing I got wrong in that riff about the Santa Monica inoffensives and the Bakersfield self-deprecators is that I thought it would be just the school teams, not multi-gazillion dollar corporate brands like the Washington Redskins. As I've said for years, the target is surviving bastions of masculinity. The wokesters take it as red. They've got the college dorms and the NPR boardrooms. But to take the US military and the scouts, to have a general staff that can't win a war, bleating that diversity is their strength, to have a flailing, faint-hearted Boy Scouts of America booted out of post-Christian church halls like those of the Congregationalists for their homophobia, desperately introducing rainbow toggles and support for Black Lives Matter as part of a diversity merit badge for Eagle Scouts. These are real victories in building a society uh, starting to look literally unmanned. 
So it's no surprise to see the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, which uh, has been delayed by the COVID, um, has used the extra four months to get with the beat. Over the last six decades, uh, this magazine has given us uh, Cheryl Teagues, Christy Brinkley, Elle McPherson, uh, but let's face it, stag blondes filling their bikinis with operative lady parts is all very Squaresville. So last year, we had the first hijabed model in a burkini. Yeah, 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 but under the burkini and hijab, she's still a cis woman. How boring is that? So this year, Sports Illustrated has its first transgender model. Seems like a, seems like a nice girl. It's, uh, it's not altogether clear whether the lady in question has gone all the way, if you know what I mean. Uh, but that's fair enough, because let's face it, nobody else in American sports, from the owners to the fans, seems to have a set of cojones. I think it was Laura Rosen-Cohen of our Midweek Laura's Links feature who sent me a note after this uh, transgender lovely appeared, saying that the left wants to train young men uh, to be attracted to young men. And then someone else uh, said to me that they want to train them to be attracted to women with male genitalia, or what we previously used to consider male genitalia. And that's true. There have been daily male flare-ups savaging male celebrities who say they wouldn't personally be into dating a trans woman. And conversely... Uh, there have been uh, new feminist guardian types arguing that lesbians who aren't into trans women with penises should just lie back and think of England. But after the last couple of weeks, maybe it's more ambitious than that. Maybe we're training young men to be the, uh, the catchers. OK, that's enough of our sports roundup. July 14th, 2020. From my hill to die on, to yours. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh my, what's been cancelled today. Plenty of old stuff and all of the fun. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-dun. Mr. Black Lives on my rear end. It's the truth, I'm guilty. Riddle with my white fragility, zippity doo da, zippity a. I got a feeling today's my last day. Zippity doo da, zippity a. My oh my, let the boys have to play. Sports Illustrated, oh how your eyes pop. And just like Atlanta, they don't need the chop. Mr. Redskin on my t-shirt. It's the cutest logo, but suddenly it's heap big no-go. Zippity-doo-dah, I'm starting to rave. I'm down in my man cave, where men go to cave. Oh, let me hear that war chant. Suck on those tomahawks, you losers! Okay, okay, that's, uh, that's enough of that. Comparing the Atlanta Braves' tomahawk chop with Seattle's Chaz chop, 
That's the autonomous zone that in its brief life as the world's newest utopia managed to kill twice as many black men as the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, comparing the tomahawk chop with the Seattle chop, eventually even a useless indulgent mayor like Seattle's was forced to take a stand. You wonder what it would take for the NFL or NBA or NASCAR or baseball to take a stand and stop demonstrating utter contempt for their fans. As I said to Tucker the other day, unless you're prepared to surrender everything, surrender nothing. On this Bastille Day, it's worth reprising the words of dinky metrosexual globalist Emmanuel Macron a month ago. We're not taking down a single statue and we're not changing a single name. Not one, said Monsieur Macron, uh, addressing his fellow citizens. That's it. And by and large, it's worked. The moment he said that, the throughout your history thing went away in France, more or less. By contrast, having been incentivized by these horrible corporate sports impresarios and other mob appeasers, in America, the morons march on. It's Mark Stein's Statue of the Night. You put me high upon a So high that I could almost see eternity You needed me You needed me We no longer need the Virgin Mary. Who's the Virgin Mary? Well, she was the uh, racist owner of the NFL team, the Westchester County Scalpums. Oh no, wait, that's a typing error. She was the mother of Confederate General Jesus Christ. But who cares? She's outside that church, radiating her white privilege like a virgin Karen. She was asking for it. Police are also investigating vandalism outside a Dorchester church where a statue was set on fire. It happened last night at the St. Peter's Church on Bowdoin Street. This just uncalled for. Folks waking up Sunday morning in Dorchester were shocked to see a statue of the Blessed Mother Mary vandalized. Father John Curry is pastor of St. Peter's Parish in Dorchester. You know, the image of Our Lady is so important for us in our faith. Neighbor Donald Ellis fought back tears. A poor little woman, an elderly woman, every single day she comes down, puts a, puts a flower on that statue and prays. The arms, hands, and face are damaged. Right now, police are still searching for the person responsible. Could just be a nutter sitting at home watching statue destruction on the telly every night and figuring, well, why can't I get a piece of the action? As devout Catholic Nancy Pelosi says, I don't care about statues. People will do what they do, unquote. People will do what they do. Or it could be that the same people who hate Lincoln, Jefferson and Columbus hate Jesus, Mary and Joseph too. They hate everything that predates the revolutionary moment. In support of the latter thesis, let's go to Washingtonville, a little ways north of New York City, about 6,000 people. 19 years ago, five residents of Washingtonville lost their lives as firemen charging into the burning towers of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. The town put up a memorial to their lost heroes, one of the better 9-11 memorials, certainly when compared to that Flight 93 excrescence. Uh, five bronze firemen's helmets and the names etched in black granite, and in the center, an American flagpole. 
until it got chopped down. Five FDNY firemen from Washingtonville lost their lives on 9-11. So when someone destroyed the flagpole here Tuesday night, it was like desecrating a grave. It brought tears to my eyes because I lost a lot of friends. And it still hurt me. 9-11 first responder Ronaldo Robledo came down to Memorial Park in the village on Thursday to leave a folded flag and pay his respects. And he's not the only one. We saw others placing flags and volunteers from the Monell Engine Company put up this temporary flagpole. Volunteer firefighters are even pictured keeping watch over the memorial overnight. The hope here at first was that this flagpole did not fall on purpose, but when police got here, they quickly learned that was not the case. Authorities pointing out it became obvious early on that someone took a saw to the pole and purposely cut it down. No one's ever going to forget that. Village Mayor Joseph Bucco says the flagpole will be fixed immediately and cameras will be installed to make sure nothing like this happens again. They picked the wrong village for this to happen. So in a relatively small community, it is no longer possible to erect a memorial to firemen who gave their lives to save others unless you also install 24-7 security cameras. My friend Tucker Carlson has been criticised for attacking the Democrat Senator Tammy Duckworth, who suggests we put George Washington on the table and up for discussion. But this is where that thinking leads, to a land without even yesterday's heroes. To repeat, unless you're prepared to surrender everything, surrender nothing. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalog to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time, Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As, or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. An ultimatum to the Turks, an almost Irish Kaiser, and good news for Al Jolson's sweetheart. It's July 1920. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the messy mopping up after the recent Great War continues. General Gouraud, the French government's senior representative in the Levant, has delivered an ultimatum to the self-proclaimed King Faisal of Syria, demanding unopposed access to the railway between Riyadh and Aleppo, or he will send in occupying troops. The threats to Syria's old masters in Turkey are even more expansive after rejecting multiple objections from the Ottoman 
government in Constantinople, the Allied powers have given Turkey 10 days to sign the peace treaty or face the Allies, quote, ejecting the Turks from Europe once and for all. Bolivia's president, Jose Gutierrez Guerra, has been overthrown in a military coup led by General Bautista Saavedra. The new rulers have deported Mr. Guerra and his aides to the Chilean port city of Arica, causing Chile to deploy 10,000 troops to the region. Bastille Day, Le 14 Juillet, France's national holiday, while a German mob was demonstrating outside, a man entered the French embassy in Berlin, went up to the roof and stole the French tricolor. The ambassador has protested to the German government. In a less obviously provocative move, Berlin has informed the Allies that their demand for 2 million tonnes of German coal each month cannot be met. The Germans estimate that they have the capacity to deliver only half that. In sports news, the America's Cup has been held for the first time since 1903, and for the first time in almost half a century, a foreign vessel has won a race. The self-made tea baronet Sir Thomas Lipton's yacht Shamrock 4 beat the American entry Resolute in the first race, the first such humiliation for the United States since 1871 when England's Livonia beat the US Columbia, making the Shamrock 4 an instant sensation with the American public. The largest ever clonal growth, that's a weed colony of plants descended from a single specimen. The largest ever such growth has been found by botanist Harvey Ward in Perry County, Pennsylvania. It's a near 100-acre patch of box huckleberry. I found my love in Like Al Jolson in his latest song, You Found Your Love in Avalon Beside the Bay, she's now a lot easier to keep in touch with. The world's first public radio telephone service has been installed, linking California's Catalina Island, including Avalon, 
to landlines on the American mainland through a relay station in the Los Angeles suburb of San Pedro. In other communications news, the world's largest and most powerful wireless station in the world is now operational near Bordeaux in France. Its eight antenna towers are about 200 metres or over 650 feet high and can send messages halfway around the world. In news of more conventional methods of communication, the political revolutionaries Sinn Féin, who support an Irish republic with no ties to the British crown, have broken into the post office in Dublin and spirited off significant amounts of government mail, including confidential communications to the Royal Irish Constabulary and other law enforcement agencies. And we're all going calling on the Kaiser a couple of years ago we were all going calling on the kaiser the english french the yanks and irish too but some of us were there to offer him a throne the last time revolutionaries seized the dublin post office in the easter rising of 1916 it was so that patrick pierce could proclaim the new irish republic from its steps in fact, Mr. Pierce and other leading Republicans favoured offering the Irish throne to Kaiser Wilhelm's youngest son on the grounds that Germany was likely to win the war and as the Prussian prince spoke not a word of English, it would be as easy for him to learn Irish. Furthermore, Ireland's British loyalists were known to be fanatically anti-German and therefore would effectively exclude themselves from any role in a new regime. Within a generation, Ireland would have a thoroughly Gaelicised Teutonic monarchy. Alas, it is not to be. This week, the Kaiser's son, Prince Joachim of Prussia, took his own life by gunshot. He was said to be depressed by the family's loss of its throne and its powers and by his wife's consequent divorce of the young prince. Among other German obituaries this week, the Olympic diver Albert Zürner, who has died in a diving accident exactly 12 years to the day after winning his gold medal. He was 30. Charles Courtney, whose rowing rivalry with Canada's Ned Hanlon led to accusations of race-fixing and cowardice against the American, has died at his summer home on New York's Cayuga Lake. After taking his morning row, he returned to his cottage and died of apoplexy. In the last 37 years, Mr Courtney had coached Cornell's rowing team to 14 varsity titles, although it was said he never quite recovered from fracturing his skull five years ago on the New York Central Railroad. Hassan Bey Agaev was, until recently, one of the most influential political figures in Azerbaijan and was part of their delegation to last year's Paris Peace Conference. But then, three months ago, the Red Army invaded and Mr Agaev fled to the Georgian capital of Tiflis, where this week 
he was assassinated. And that's The Way of the World, July 1920. A hundred years from today A hundred years from today Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Today is Alabama Primary Day, and if you're one of uh, our listeners who leaves it to late in the evening or the following morning to listen to this show, by now uh, you may have the advantage of me and uh, know who the Senate GOP candidate is. I was rather dismissive of Tommy Tuberville, whom I regard as an opportunist open borders hack who believes in nothing, and I got some pushback in the comments. Uh, and then we had some pushback against the pushback from Paul Nachman, who's a first-day founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Montana. And Paul writes, Tommy Tuberville is an ignoramus on immigration, whereas Jeff Sessions could write an encyclopedia on the subject. Illegal immigration, legal immigration, quote refugees and quote asylees. The quotation marks are warranted. Anchor babies, work visas, overall numbers, you name it. And he's a patriot on all aspects of the subject. Indeed, if you can remember back when uh, Trump was running last time round and he talked about anchor babies and the like, uh, he got a lot of that stuff from uh, Jeff Sessions, who was the first uh, senator to back Trump. Uh, here's a quote, says Paul, right from the buffoon Tuberville himself. There are people coming across the border that need jobs, OK? And we want them to come over here. We just need to know who's here, OK? <laughs> like, who is it? Is that what they do in Mean Girls, OK? <laughs> uh, there are people... I think in this case, it's meant to confer authority upon Tuberville, uh, as if he's saying something of which you were not previously aware. Uh, there are people coming across the border that need jobs, OK? And we want them to come over here. We just need to know who's here, OK? Put the wall up. Then we let them come in and become citizens like we all became citizens. Uh-huh. That's enough to show, says Paul, that Tuberville doesn't recognise that the problem is immigration itself, not merely the fraction of it that's illegal. See the Centre for Immigration Studies exec director Mark Krikorian and his classic piece from 2007, Legal Good, Illegal Bad. And since then, of course, we've had mass automation to the point where it's estimated that a third of all jobs around the planet are going to be gone by the year 2030. No developed nation needs mass immigration. No developed nation needs mass unskilled immigration. Uh, you're right, Paul. That Tuberville quote is the quote of a complete ass, OK, who hasn't given a moment's thought to the subject. I know a lot of people hate Jeff Sessions, including the president who appointed him, uh, because of his recusal as soon as he's got the job of attorney general and for uh, what followed therefrom. Uh, but given that at the DAUJ under the guy who replaced Sessions, they're now telling folks that this great Durham report uh, that uh, that is finally going to nail Comey, Brennan and Clapper, the Durham report. 
Uh, it's going to put Peter Strzok behind bars. They'll be having to... F all these multi-million dollar book deals are theirs. They're going to be having to write those books in the chokey. Uh, the Durham report they're now telling folks is unlikely to appear... <laughs> Go on, guess. Before the election. Oh, you do surprise me. Uh, given that, it doesn't really seem to make much difference who's Attorney General, does it? Anyway, I know people hate Sessions and others love Sessions... Uh, two, uh, but I, I don't think you even need to get to that to understand that uh, this guy Tuberville should not be a Republican senator. He is in and of himself. Regardless of comparisons, regardless of the alternative, he's exactly the kind of guy killing the Republican Party. The GOP Senate doesn't need another half-wit poser on the make. We're supposed to be impressed because he's a celebrity candidate. Huh? What's he do again? Oh my, he's a lifelong football coach who used to do colour commentary at ESPN. Here's the problem... Trump faces, as his first term has shown, this is like trying to turn around the Titanic when the crew is working for the iceberg. I understand that. It's been plain since January 2017. But we're running out of time. America's running out of time, and we don't need a, just a finger-in-the-windy guy who doesn't know what he thinks. I'm sure he knows a lot about football, just like all the fellas taking a knee and dumping the Redskins name and programming the Black National Anthem and dumping the Tomahawk Chop and whatever they're next hustled into all know a lot about football. It seems to be a profession that attracts rock-ribbed men of principle, no? But right now, Trump needs guys who can help him move the ball down the field metaphorically. Uh, and this opportunist doesn't cut it. Right now, America is torching and destroying every single thing from the Civil War era, except, oddly, the Democrat and Republican parties. The radical Dems, like AOC, want to go off the cliff full throttle. The Republicans, like Tuberville, are content to drift over in third gear. When you hit the bottom of the cliff, that isn't going to make any difference. And now, Stein Online presents... Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Well, it's the 14 juillet, France's national holiday, so we have to have a French song. If you're thinking of storming the Bastille, you could do a lot worse than storm it to this lovely waltz. It doesn't actually mention the Place de la Bastille specifically, uh, but it sort of skirts uh, via the Pont de Bercy and Notre Dame Cathedral, so it's in the vicinity. Uh, it was written for a 1951 film called Sous le ciel de Paris, Under the Sky of Paris, one of those day-in-the-life-of-a-city things, snapshots of diverse persons whose lives intersect in various ways. And Hubert Girard and Jean-Dre Jacques wrote a title song to match. Um, a beautiful accumulation of images. A snapshot of a Paris that, notwithstanding war and occupation, was still Paris. Paris, 
That's Jean Bretonnière with uh, guitarist and accordionist introducing that song to the world in the film Sous le ciel de Paris. He didn't have much of a movie career after that, but he did get to romance uh, Mademoiselle Brigitte Bardot while playing her uncle. Don't ask, it's one of those kind of plots. Uh, in the picture, Set Sacre Gamine, uh, around about 1955 or 56, I would say. Sous le ciel de Paris, s'envole une chanson. Mm -hmm. Elle est née d'aujourd'hui dans le cœur d'un garçon. Under the sky of Paris soars a song. Mm -hmm. It was born today in a boy's heart. As long-time listeners will know, I like singing in French. Uh, sometimes I sing French songs, sometimes I sing English songs that happen to have very good French lyrics, but I hardly ever make the journey in reverse and find a French song that has a good English lyric, with the exception of uh, Johnny Mercer's uh, Are the Apple Trees and uh, Autumn Leaves. Uh, but Sous le ciel de Paris is a fine example of what usually happens. J Juliette Greco and Yves Montand and uh, Edith Piaf picked up the song, and so eventually someone decided there'd be money in an English lyric. So they farmed it out to a guy called Kim Gannon. Kim Gannon. He and Walter Kent uh, wrote I'll Be Home for Christmas. And uh, two minutes after getting the assignment, well, that's what it sounds like, Kim Gannon turned all Monsieur Dreyjac's terrific specific images from the streets of Paris into a lyric of total generic dreck. Stranger, beware, there's love in the air under Paris skies. Try to be smart and don't let your heart catch on fire. Love becomes king the moment it's spring under Paris skies Lonely hearts meet somewhere on a street of desire Parisian love can bloom high in a skylight room Or in a gay cafe where hundreds of people can see Oh my god. Anyway... A couple of years ago, uh, my dear friend Patsy Gallant, Canada's great disco diva and the star of Starmania in Paris for almost the decade, Patsy swung by our show and I love the way she sings this song, so I asked her to do it, just for me, more or less. Uh, uh, and she did, after letting me uh, vent a bit about all the things that ghastly Kim Gannon English lyric gets wrong. All, all these French songs have uh, English lyrics. Uh, and I mentioned them to you, and you had no interest in them because no. the English lyrics are generally stinkers compared yeah. to the uh, French lyrics. And that's particularly true of this next song you're going to do for us. And uh, Monsieur Dreyjac, who did the lyric, had a very good idea because he chose not to put words to uh, the, the, my favourite bit of the tune. He just put a hum on it. Okay. It's it, mm-hmm, yeah. which, uh, which I love. And the English lyric, Under Paris Skies, completely ruins that by putting words on top of the, on top of the hum. But this, this song is basically a snapshot of a day in Paris. Mm, and where, it really says it. The words... Yeah. I, when, I, when I sing those words and I lived in Paris, yeah. I see Paris. So you know all the places that this is, song mm -hmm. is... It's a... Uh, 
the, the low bit of the song, uh, whatever it is, uh, Sous le Pont de Bercy. You've actually been to Le yes. Pont de Bercy. Yes, and, and uh, they badore the, the, the people that are on the streets that have no place to live. Yeah. But uh, they seem to fit so well anyway. Even in Paris, they look good. Right, right. And it's like uh, un philosophe assis, which oui, means a, assis. a sitting philosopher. Absolutely. And you, have you seen a sitting philosopher? No, no, under no the... I haven't. But this <laughs> Badot thinks that they okay. are philosophers. Yeah, yeah. Every, uh, every Badot is un philosophe yeah, exactly, in Paris. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, this is, this is a, a, a terrific, really moves this song. It's got, and it's got, so, it's got enough great melodic material in mm. it for about three or four songs. Really? I think so, I think yeah. so. But you do this better than anyone, Patsy. Uh, Sous le ciel de Paris, under the skies of Paris, Patsy Gallon. Pardonner, il 
Merci, Gala. Merci, and, uh, <laughs> Marc. Merci beaucoup. Oh, merci, merci Patsy. Merci à toi. Mm. And uh, that is uh, exclusive to this show, that little ending there. They yes. just uh, worked that up about 20 minutes ago in rehearsal. That's a great French song that Patsy Galland was kind enough to sing for yours truly with the Mark Stein show band. Merci mille fois, Patsy. I said there's uh, so much great melodic material in that song. The composer Hubert Giraud had a fabulous career. He was still a teenager when he started playing harmonica with Django Reinhardt's uh, Quintet du Haut Club de France in the late 30s, and he could still crank out a hit or two in the 70s. This one irritated the hell out of me for a long time if it ever came on the radio uh, in France when I was a kid. Um, he called it Mamie Bleu, Mamie Bleu, uh, M-A-M-Y. But when it crossed over to the Anglo world, it tended to get rendered in English as Mammy Blue. Mammy being spelt as my darling little Mammy. Uh, and I've no idea what Al Jolson would have made of this. Uh, but if any Democrat governors or liberal prime ministers of Canada are looking for new material for this year's party conference, this may be the world's most recent Mammy song. A piece of easy listening, soft rock schlock, whatever. smiles and that's what I got instead. Hubert Giraud from Sous le Ciel de Paris to Mammy Blue. You can't follow a blue mammy. Uh, so that'll do it for our show today. Joyeux fête de la Bastille to our French listeners. Allons enfants de la patrie. Le jour de gloire est arrivé. Le jour de gloire. Amis, restez sûr, restez libres. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
All rights reserved.